Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sean, are you concerned at all that in the celebrity chef thing that one guy's out there making beef bourguignon and Morgan's making grilled cheese? Does that bother you? <laughs> no. I just don't think it, I just don't think it helps our odds. I think there's a couple guys that may be in the mix that could go that route. I don't think we have to worry about that with with Tom Morgan. So I think we're we're good there. They got something really good up their sleeves. I don't know because last year Morgan Morgan ordered food. I, mean, I just don't. I just get concerned. Well, Steve, the first uh, entry he had was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I mean, the judges rejected. That's it. one place you go cooking Bob, men. Bob, you don't have to go Bob, order food Bob, there. Hey, Bob, 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 Bob. <laughs> I'm trying to win here. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> okay. Morgan's not helping. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Morgan's got to do more, and not only that, they mentioned Kevin. It's like it's yeah, the making part. No, it's no, not no. the eating part. I mean, so I mean, like go the eating part. I mean, Kevo's the champ. Yes. Kevin's the champ in eating um, just about any kind of food group there is. Yeah, Kev will, right. Kev will be there, but we, we have to make it clear he is not one of the celebrity chefs. Oh, God, now the bowling number's down to 266. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. There's yeah, all we, sorts yeah. of issues. Yeah, we're going to be di- – we'll have to dive into that sometime yeah. about the re- the new revelation that we learned yes. during Eagle 107 game night Friday night about uh, our buddy, Mr. 298. Um, Was it actually a 298? We're finding out now it may have been a bigger choke than we realized. (laughs) (laughs) No question about that. This this from a person who could bowl 10 strings and not get 297. Okay? I mean, I break 100 and we're like high-fiving. Hey, way to go. I did it. I broke 100. So so when I'm talking about a guy bowling 297, I'm like, ha. Steve, the report is you're happy when you beat your age in bowling. Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've done it. I got a 62. <laughs> Way to go. Hey, uh, Steve, uh, before I mean, we... And that's and that's with the bumpers up. <laughs> before we... Uh, you bring in St- Frank Bradani, uh to talk about a little Penn State, I'm sure. I want to say, uh, you introduced me to a fella that I think is doing a bang-up job. Matt McGloin's analysis and sideline reporting is really outstanding. And as good as that is, Steve, I can assure our listeners and everyone else, he's a better person. Yeah, he's been awesome. And we, we love working with him. We do. Uh, and now he's got this XFL thing coming up. Yeah. And Jack and I feel that we've built him up enough where we're going to go sweep. Yeah. Right, so, <laughs> so, and guess who else was there on Saturday? Tony Knopp. Yes. I met Tony. Oh, yeah. you did meet him? Bob, yeah. Yes, Steve introduced Bob me to Tony. Tony uh, and Laura. Yes. Laura was there, too. I didn't realize he's a big, big fella. He's a very, very tall man. Yes. But they are two wonderful people. And we had a, we probably talked for about 20, 25 minutes. You know, then eventually I had to go to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, one, by the way, one of our great fans of the show, George, uh, tweeted out to me this morning. He, he, th- he feels that we should have... 
Tony back on the show this week so we can get his instant uh, reaction from finally getting a chance to experience well, the Penn State whiteout. George, George, that's a great suggestion. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Great suggestion. I'm, I'm sure uh, Tony but, was amazed. I mean, I already liked Tony a lot to begin with. Now even more so after meeting him. He's a tremendous guy. His wife, Laura, is really, really super. So uh, it was great to see them. All right. Our play-by-play call of the day goes back to Saturday night, but not football, baseball. Here's a 2-1. And that's driven deep to left center field. Garner is going back. Looking out. See you later. See you later. See you later. Astros headed back to the World Series. Jose Altuve, a walk-off two-run homer. And the Astros beat the Yankees 6-4, to win the ALCS four games to two. Jose Altuve, who, by the way, played in the New York Penn League with Tri-City. Hmm. And that's a league you want to eliminate? Really? Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, bring in Frank Bodani, York Daily Record. Frank, welcome. Great to have you back on the show. Great to hear you. Hey, it's awesome to talk to you guys today. Beautiful day down here. Hopefully great for you, too. Same here, Frank. Thanks so much. Uh, All right, what was your take out of Penn State beating Michigan on Saturday night? (laughs) That's a very good question because even when they were ahead 21-0, 21-7, it didn't feel to me like it should have with the score. And then, sure enough, they kind of had to fight for their lives in the second half which is really what I did not expect. You know, you don't expect them to have to fight to the last play to win a game that they're ahead 21 nothing with their whiteout crowd behind them against a team that really had not played a consistent football game all year. So I don't know what to think, Steve. I um, think, uh, you know, I think it's great they're 7-0 and for the fans. That's really positive. I, I just think there's some issues on offense that they need to correct quickly. How much of that is the fact that uh, that the Michigan defense comes into play here with their ability and their team speed? How much does that need to factor into what, in what you're looking at, Frank? I think it does. I think it does to a point, except when you're up 21 nothing, it should be a different game. Uh-huh. That's to me that then that shouldn't be as much of a factor because you have such the upper hand. You just need and one more drive, maybe another couple plays to really put your foot on it. Um, and then what to me what Penn State did is they kind of allowed Michigan and their defense to control the, the tempo of the second half. They didn't in the first half, but it, it, to me they didn't adjust real well in the second in the second half. I've always felt that, for the most part, with Don Brown, the defensive coordinator of Michigan, that his philosophy has always been, I want to make the quarterback's ordinary plays, what should be an ordinary play, difficult. You know, that's by having lockdown corners unleashing the other nine. How well did Sean Clifford handle, quote, those ordinary plays? I think Sean's done a tremendous job in being efficient, not committing big mistakes. I mean, just look at his numbers. That's something that I think he's exceeded. How could you expect a first-year quarterback in the Big Ten like that, 16 touchdowns, two interceptions? Penn State's only, I think, lost four fumbles all year. That's been that's what saved them to me because I think it's such a learning curve for him with dealing with the read option, these defenses, making the right decisions. Um, I think he's such probably a hard critic on himself too 
but the part that he's been able to control, you know, the not making the mistakes, he's been great with him. All right. Uh, the key in the game, in, to me, in the end, was people were talking about the stats. I said, but there was one stat that Penn State won, and I don't mean the final score. Right. But it was the giveaway takeaway. There was one. Penn State got it, and Penn State again got seven points out of it. In fact, they're averaging six points per takeaway this season, 59 points and 10 takeaways. The ability yeah. to take care of the ball and the ability to get that takeaway, what does that mean moving forward? Wow, that's that it again I'll say it that that's what has saved them because I think there's some limitations that I didn't expect on offense, but when you're able to protect the ball like that, I mean that's immeasurable. And I think they're doing a better job at creating turnovers. I still think they could probably even ramp that up a little bit more. Um but it is that that part of things to me bodes very well for the second half of the year because you're not beating yourself and you're not giving the other team the easy scores, the easy fields, the easy opportunities. You're making them earn it, which is going to be hard against Penn State's defense. How do you feel about what you're seeing about the running game? After you know, they Obviously, they ran the ball really well in Iowa. Michigan wants to take that away. So what do you see the running game right now? You know, I think their offensive line is doing a better job. I really like the physical presence of C.J. Thorpe, for example. But I just don't know what they're doing with the running backs. I can't see how this is helping them. Um, now, maybe there's some things going on behind the scenes that we don't know. I mean, obviously James Franklin isn't going to tell us everything. Um, but right now, Noah Kane looks like the best running back on the team. I, you know, and maybe there's some something else going on personal behind the scenes, but I don't understand why he's not playing more. And I just don't – I know that all four guys are talented, Steve, but I, I don't see how rotating them every series or two is helping. It doesn't seem to me that the consistency is there. They ran the ball and ran out the game with no against Iowa. They're going to have to do that again, maybe this week coming up. The weather is getting colder. To me, they need to, to show more consistency somehow in the running game. And yet at the end, you know, they used out Noah Kane, as you mentioned, to close out the Iowa mm-hmm. game. He was in there in the last play. Yeah. And, and, uh, and after, I, I think, Frank, after using, with all that motion with Hamler and so forth, you know, mm-hmm. he did, that ends up being a decoy for teams. Well, it looks to me like Noah Kane might have been the decoy on that play and because then they gave it to Hamler, who cut it up. That was a great play. Time. Yeah. I I really like the call yeah. on that play, and I like that Noah was in there. I just don't. I and I like all four guys. The thing is, right. they got two studs coming in next year running back. <laughs> so if you got if you're trying to manage four, how are you going to manage six? I, I don't know. I've never seen Penn State in this situation, which is intriguing going forward because you know something's got to. Something's got to turn. I'm thinking when the games get the weather gets rougher, yeah. the games depend more on the running game. It'd be interesting to see how they handle this. What have you thought about the depth they've displayed so far on defense? I think it's saved them. Um, I think that they're built for you know they attack in waves. And it was like I know they have some star players, but to me they're more of a unit than to me than they are individual all-stars and that bodes well because they can just rotate guys in and out and I think that's what saved them against Michigan 82 snaps 
I think they did look a little bit worn down at the end, but imagine how much more worn down they would have been then and earlier if they didn't have that kind of depth. And they preached that, and I think that's what's going to help them the last month of the year. Um, and I guess, you know, it's interesting. They lead the nation in sacks, and, you know, Michigan threw the ball, I think, 41 times. They only got to the quarterback once. But there is pressure there other than that. So, you know, we'll see how that goes forward against this coming week because Michigan State's had their own struggle on offense for sure. Right. What have you? How have you felt about what you've seen in special teams? I think it's. I think it's definitely an improvement because not even that they're making game-changing positive plays on special teams. They've eliminated a lot of the mistakes that I think cost them last year. So it's more that they've steadied things out. And you know what? Opponents are going to try to take away. Sure those things, like K.J. Hamler. And I think, you know, give credit to the opponents. They've done a pretty good job of that. But I think Penn State is, um, I mean, Blake Gilligan's really done well last couple of weeks, especially when they're asking them to punt different ways on different times. My gosh, I don't know how you even do that, but um, I think they've eliminated the mistakes, which is, and and KJ is going to break one. I mean, we saw it Saturday. (laughs) It's going to happen the last month of the year. Um, he's their I, I love that kid because not only is he a great player, he just there's no one we love talking to more than him after me. <laughs> Nobody, he, hands down. Oh, uh, the Iowa the Iowa post game. Jack and Jack Ham and I had him on the post game show, and we had him on this week too. But after Iowa, he's talking about the touchdown where he went airborne, and he's still yeah. discussing his thought process. See, that's, that's, that's great. He says, I'm airborne, and I'm thinking to myself, this, 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 this. I'm sitting here thinking, you thought all that? <laughs> right, right. That's what you love. Even if he's not telling the truth, who cares? That sounds great. <laughs> he's really. What do you think about Michigan State this week? Uh, obviously, been, the last two years have been tough, tough football games against them. It's like they're a te- they're like one of those teams. You always have a favorite team, no matter who it is. And it's like there's one opponent that kind of, for whatever reason, causes you trouble in any situation possible. But it seems like they've become that team, even when they're not, even when they're banged up. You know, it doesn't matter. So they're coming off a bye. I think they're going to be very determined at home coming off a bye. Yeah. They've already had some tough issues. They have. Of course, they have the makings of a really great defense, and I think they're going to come out and punch Penn State hard in the mouth on defense. So if Penn State has the right plan, I think Penn State's done pretty well um, last week with their offensive game plan to start things. Yeah. Um, come out with the right plan, absorb that initial you know, punches from Michigan State, I think they can do okay. But it's going to be tough. I mean, Michigan is going to be determined. Brian Lewerke has played out of his mind the last two years against Penn State. Yeah. Even when he has it against maybe everybody else. Right. So there's confidence for Michigan State. It's must-win for them at home. And I think this is great for Penn State. You know, you want the test like this to yeah. prove who you are. Keeps the guys focused. I mean, um, heck, what's going to happen? I guess the best thing is probably to predict a close score and coming down to the end. I mean, I think if Penn State could jump on him really, you might be able to have an easier time. But I, yeah. Good luck, Yeah, Penn State. <laughs> Frank, always a pleasure. Thanks so much, my friend. Oh, good to talk to you all this week, too. I appreciate Frank Podany very much from the York Daily Record. Um, this week... 
uh, K.J. Hamler was named the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. If you recall a story two weeks ago, Sean, that I told on the air about um, Tua Tungaviola, there's this Peter Mortel Holder of the Year Award, which isn't really an award, but Mortel made it up, and then ESPN latched onto it, and at the ESPN Awards show, they actually give it out. And Tua Tungaviola, instead of putting out a video, his own video, promoting himself for the Heisman, instead put it out that he wanted to win the Peter Mortel Award as the holder of the year since he's the holder at Alabama. Now he won't be holding in the next couple of weeks at minimum. And I said at the time, I said, look, if Casey O'Brien of Minnesota can just get into one game, he should win it hands down. Well, Casey O'Brien is a four-time cancer survivor. A four-time cancer survivor. Casey O'Brien. He's gone through hell in his life. And against Rutgers, P.J. Fleck put him in, put the ball down, and the tears were flowing in the Minnesota sideline. That should be enough. Casey O'Brien should... And he was named, by the way, Casey O'Brien was named the Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week, which is, I, I think, an awesome, awesome move by the Big Ten that they did that. And hopefully, um, when it comes to and it turned out Peter Martell, by the way, was uh, played his college football in Minnesota. All right, we'll come back more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. All right, great to have you with us. I just want to relate the the Casey O'Brien story from Minnesota. It's great the Big Ten recognized him as a Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week. They should have. I, I think that's terrific. And I hope, you know, I know it's a meaningless, but you know what? Recognize him. Give him the Peter Mortel Award for best holder. And it's like, you know, the, let's face it. Will Hart of Michigan and Blake Gilligan of Penn State, you know, the last two holders I've seen both do terrific jobs. But little Brian's overcome. Oof. Goodness. Hey, put that man in the uh, in the running yeah. for the ESPY for the Arthur Ashe Award for next yeah. summer. My goodness, sure. yeah, yeah. Hey, but speaking of Minnesota, though, best start since 1960. Wisconsin stumbles at Illinois, so uh, uh-huh. things looking a little different over there in the West. What in the West standings in the conference? There's no question. And Minnesota's got Maryland this week, and they'll be the prohibitive favorite in that one. Um, but they're playing well. They are the classic team. Right now, I think it's safe to say that Minnesota's best win is actually over Fresno State. That's amazing when you think about that. And they beat Nebraska. They beat them handily. But they have not really gone through what you call the gauntlet. I mean, they now, now when they get to November, they have Penn State. They have Wisconsin. They have Iowa. And so they've got, they've got tough sledding here in the down the stretch. But they'll they'll be the prohibitive favorite against Maryland. Defensively, they're playing well. Offensively, though, Tanner Morgan's played better than I thought he would, and the two running backs are as good as I thought they were going to be. And I, I think uh, Smith and Brooks, that's an outstanding one-two punch back there. Abraham's also very good, too. But And the wideouts, the wideouts are f- terrific. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> Next half hour, Dave Cicchini will talk Bucknell football. Thanks to Bob Buner for being with us today. Thanks to you for being with us today. For nearly 100 years, Purdy Insurance has been your locally owned, family operated source for insurance products. With a staff of over 20 and partnerships with some of the industry's most trusted companies, Purdy has the experience and resources to get the job done. Whether you need personal home and auto or complex business insurance solutions, Purdy will help you navigate through the process. Call today at 570-286-5855. Or better yet, stop in their Sunbury office to see what Purdy Insurance can do for you. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. I heard um, the call there. Dick from Milton talking about the Yankees, about Kate Smith. That brings up the Yankees. When Jose Altuve hit the home run on Saturday night, you realize what happened? That means that for the first time since 1910 to 1919, the Yankees have gone a full decade without going to a World Series. 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Yankees had it. We're in the World Series at least once in each of those decades, and this is the fir- first time they have not gone to a World Series in a decade since 1910 to 1919. A hundred years. Do you think Steinbrenner is rolling over in his grave? Uh, he, you know what? The, but you know what, Bob? They're close. I oh, mean, in other been, words, oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, they went to the American League Championship Series two years ago. Astros beat them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went to the division series last year. The Red Sox beat him. This time, the Astros beat him in the American League Championship Series. The issue for the Yankees has been the last three times they've just been beaten by better teams. Yeah, and uh, uh, you know they had their ace out in the bottom of the, uh, in the ninth inning to shut down the uh, uh, Houston Astros, and it didn't happen with Chapman. You know, and Altuve is just a little guy, and he just boomed it right out. Altuve played for Tri-City. When I saw him play at Tri-City, I thought, oh, okay, he's all right. He's become one heck of a major league player. And he is, see, he is, he is a spe- It's amazing how you can have a sport with Aaron Judge yes, and Jose Altuve, two men of completely different stature, both being really good power hitters. Steve, Tri-City is where? Uh, right outside Albany, Troy, New York. Oh, sure, right so, up so on the Hudson tr- River. So, in other words, Troy, Schenectady, Albany is called Tri-City. Got it. Know, know exactly where it is then. Yep. Um, you know, I know we're all focused uh, for Penn State and Michigan State coming up. Obviously, it's it's a bit of a revenge. But, you know, Minnesota is playing like they don't know how to lose. Minnesota won. Minnesota played really a mediocre non-conference schedule. All true. But but in their mediocre non-conference schedule, they kept finding ways to win. I was watching their game at Fresno State. They're not supposed to be. You look how that game's playing out. You're not really supposed to win the game, yet in double overtime they find a way to win. They then have found another way to win late in another game. Well, you know what that does? 
Oh. Even it doesn't matter about it doesn't really matter about um uh who you're playing, but the confidence you get from how you do it does have an impact. And so even though the schedule hasn't been great, They've garnered so much confidence that they think they're going to win no matter what. Oh, absolutely. Uh, And, you know, P.J. Fleck, I watched the Big Ten uh, Network special on him coming to Minnesota. He doesn't lack for confidence either. I mean, he really really doesn't. And a lot of the initial reporting on on Fleck going to Minnesota is he's a hot air balloon. It's all talk. Well, he's walking the walk, and he and this is now his recruits that are coming into the four in that program. Well, you know what? Uh, he's done a good job, so there's yep. no getting around that. Um, when he has a press conference, half the time I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, he uh, tends to get lost. There's an old remember that old TV show, Lost in Space. <laughs> he's, I mean, it's like, I said, they go oh, okay, whatever. Yep. Uh, but then again, I'm not a person that is. A sucker for mumbo jumbo. I mean, I'm just not. You know me. No, I mean, you're a straight uh, shooter. In other words, I'll give you an example. Uh, Chuck, uh, Jack, and I were talking about coaches, and Matt McGloin. Three of us were talking at dinner out at uh, where were we with the week for Iowa. So we're sitting at dinner and we're talking. And McGloin, we're. I think they showed. We were. They had TVs on in the background. I can't remember. They were showing you like a locker room speech. Right, and the, and Jack and Matt were like, "Oh, for God's sakes!" Yeah, right. And Matt said that anytime a coach got up and delivered one of those fire and brimstone speeches, whomever it may be, he said, "I just sit there and roll my eyes, like let's go play." Steve, uh, uh, I have to tell you a funny story about the, exactly that. I was in, very much involved in Bloomsburg University athletics and especially the football team, and Danny Hale, an incredible coach, uh-huh. invites back for on homecoming a guy by the name of Governor Mark Schweiker, who happened sure. to have been a defensive back for the Huskies in right. 1975 and a pretty good football player. And, and it, by the way, and you get a lot of credit that when those minors were oh, in, the, in I, the ground, I, I thought Governor Schweiker, when he was the governor at the time, could yeah. not have handled it any better. I, 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 I want to give him credit for that. And, and Mark is a personal friend. I've, I knew him before he was uh, even lieutenant governor and just a wonderful fella. So at halftime of the big game with Westchester, which is the season for both teams, Mark goes in and gets invited, goes into the halftime locker room, and he at the got invited by Danny to say a few words, and he gave a fire and brimstone speech, and I was in there. And one of the defensive linemen, when it was all said and done, turned to another lineman and goes, who was that guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, it... Those days of, of those speeches just don't make it in the locker room. And I, well, and well, I, I mean, I mean, people do. James Franklin is not that guy. No, people think James gets up and what? Now, Sean Spencer sometimes will do it, but it's usually about a minute. Yeah. Uh, or James, uh, uh, Coach Earl, uh, James Earl will, who's uh, new to the staff, on the strength and conditioning staff. 
Sometimes he'll do it, like, but it's brief. Yeah, and but most most people outside of the programs at whatever name a program, the fans think that that's what you know. The coaches are in there pounding on the walls and pumping fists. They're actually, from all of my experiences, it's very clinical at halftime. They're in small oh. groups, in with their position coaches. They're going over things and making the adjustments. For the third, for the second half of the game, there's no fire or brimstone. It's a big myth. Well, Chuck Knoll. Now, now Jack's side of the story. Yeah, Chuck Knoll gets up there. And he says, "All right, uh, twelve fifty-five. We're going to be back out there at one o'clock for the national anthem." <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Right. Yep. He said, and you take on the personality of the coach. He said, one time a guy got up and the Steelers were losing at halftime and losing a game they probably should be winning. And this, one of the young players got up and started, like, yelling and screaming, we can't tolerate this, we can't have this. We can't. And Noel looked over and says, sit down and shut up. <laughs> exactly. Right? This is this is what they are. This is what, and again, if some people want to do that, that's great. And I've, I've told this story. Have you heard this story before about USC and Notre Dame? No. Okay. This is when Jerry Faust was the coach. Comes and right John, out of Moeller High School. Yeah. And John Robinson was the coach at USC. And for anybody that's never been to the L.A. Coliseum, and I have, so I, the two locker rooms are side-by-side side in the L.A. Coliseum. You, they, you, mm-hmm. you enter and exit out of the same tunnel. So they're right next to each other. So USC is sitting in its locker room. And Faust gets up in front of the Notre Dame team and starts going, that Notre Dame tradition, the national championships, Rockney. Leahy, Parsegan, all the Heisman Trophy winners over the years, Paul Horning and John Hewitt, and he's going through the whole thing. The tradition of Notre Dame. We're battling. Let's go out there. Tradition of Notre Dame. Bah, bah, bah. They, go, they go out of the locker room and they go out there. USC sitting sitting there and they're listening. They can hear the whole thing. <laughs> right? And yeah. John, Robinson, John Robinson gets up in front of his team. He says, all right, man. There's one part of the tradition he, he uh he didn't mention. He said, they never win here. Let's go kill them. <laughs> That's all he said. And they went up there. And I, I cleaned up the last yeah, part. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's go kill them. Steve, well, that's not quite what he said. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, when I was a radio announcer in college for my college team, the Westminster Titans, which, by the way, six-time national champions, we had a legendary coach, Dr. Harold Burry, who's in the College Football Hall of Fame. Our big rivalry is the uh, Grove City Wolverines, known to us as the Grovers. And Dr. Burry... And known in this broadcast booth as them. Yes, (laughs) them. And um, I was in the locker room, uh, and Coach Burry just came in, said, Guys, um, are you all ready? Um, You know, I've been shaking hand. He goes, Gentlemen, we came here to win today. He walked out of the locker room, just went out on the field. That was it. And they I won. Mean, I, re- I think of what ha- what's happened though is movies have made mythology about what it is. Sure. And I said James Franklin is not a big. He's never was, and Joe really wasn't a big. Like hey, come on, let's go. And I was like, I mean, he'd get up and he'd say something. Sure. Right. I mean, you know, you gotta say something. So they say something, you know. And and usually James tries to keep the same themes, and it's brief. So what James says is twenty seconds. I 
He's just not big on it. I just because you know what's big for coaches? Are you prepared? Oh yeah. It's, it's because all guess that. what happens when you run out of the locker room? Here we come! We're running out, and 15 minutes later, you're playing. Yeah, that. Um, <laughs> you, okay, you're not like running out, lining up, and here we go. No, it's um, what happens is you run out. Everybody greets you. You're going crazy, and another ten minutes goes by between the coin toss and a couple of other things. Yeah. And it's like, and that's a much different than say a high school game where you you know they run out, they flip the coin, and you line up for a kickoff. You go yeah. right into it. It's a much different approach. Yeah, that that when it for the Gipper speech wears uh, wears off in about five minutes, ten minutes. And there's nothing nothing wrong with no, the emotion of not it. At there's all. nothing wrong with it. But do you, you know? want your it's, do you want your best players playing with incredible emotion, pumped up emotion? Well, I don't it's think, like like people ask me about oh you must be so excited for this week's game. And then they find out what you do. Yeah. In terms of like how, like let's take game day. What did I do on game day? Okay, so I watched game day on ESPN because I wanted to see what they're going to do. And what really impressed me, this really impressed me. Did you notice what happened in game day as the show went? The crowd kept getting bigger. Oh my goodness, yeah. I mean, that's I was like, holy mackerel! This crowd. Every time they show the overhead, there are more people there, and more people, and more people to the whole point where the hub lawn was completely filled. It was an amazing scene. All right, so I watched it, and I knew they were going to do the piece on Yitor, and of course, I already know Yitor's story, uh, so I knew they were going to do that. And that was like, I mean, even knowing the story, it was still a tearjerker. Yeah, right? Sure. And then, then the show's over, and people so. You know, how early did you go to the stadium? I went out and I cut my lawn. <laughs> I was and somebody said to me, what, how could you cut your lawn on game day? I said, well, because it needed to be cut and it's going to rain on Sunday. Yeah. And um, all right, and then at 3 o'clock, I drove in. I mean, I'm sorry. You just, oh, okay. What do you want me to do? Is it make you everybody feel better if I pace back and forth? <laughs> or what? I mean, I'm sorry. I don't get nervous. No, and, and uh, you know, we know you enough that... You uh, to to use an agricultural phrase. By the time you get there at three o'clock for a seven thirty game, the hay is in the barn. You're not you're 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 prepared. You've researched what you need to do. You know what your thoughts are generally going to be. And you oh, let, he told me that last Friday afternoon we got done at five oh two. I'm ready. I'm going out tonight. Yep. Relax. Have yep. some fun. Absolutely. That's how you do it. But yeah, if you're if you're studying the play the the. Uh, too deep seating or too deep playing chart position charts at four o'clock. It's too late. Well, <laughs> look, I usually say that if you're not ready by Thursday, you're not ready. Yeah, I mean, you might as well not bother. I mean, if you're not ready by Thursday, don't bother. I'm usually pretty much ready by Tuesday. I mean, in terms of yeah. charts done, the, and that's the same thing for a football team. It's the same thing for a football team. It's all about are you well prepared. Are you ready? Are now James does take care of the mental side of it as the week goes. He always takes care. Of it. James believes strongly in the mental side of it because you've got to be. But the pregame speech is not really the mental side of it. It's an all week mentality oh, yeah. where you get up and you stress to them. All right, guess what? You're really good. Guess what? We've got something really going on here. Guess what? Get more sleep. Guess what? Watch more tape. Yeah. Guess what? Take care of your academics. I mean, he's doing like all these messages to them all the time. Now, that's okay. And you've got to be prepared, prepared, prepared yeah. all the time. If your preparation is lousy, 
okay, you can do the greatest pregame speech in the world, and you're still going to lose sixty to two. Um, there's a, a a coach that I know very well, and he gave, gives a speech on the three P's. And the first one of the P's is preparation. The second is perspiration, hard work. And the third is passion. Not emotion, but passion. And uh, that's my mantra when it comes to anything, whatever it is in life. If you have uh, preparation, perspiration, and passion, you go really far. And I think that's a James Franklin thing, although he would probably phrase it differently. But he does, he certainly has passion. You can, yeah. but they're but they're prepared. Yeah, it, it doesn't. I mean, do, I, I get to I get to see it every day, yeah. Bob. They're prepared. Well, they are they're, prepared. They're, but you know, there's, there's no stone. And you know what's okay? One quick thing about the Michigan yeah. game the other night. Okay, I felt like Michigan played its A game. Oh my gosh, they certainly did. That, that was right? the best they've played and, all season. And I felt like Penn State didn't quite play its A game, and Penn State still beat them. What does that tell you? We'll come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Purdy Insurance. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Mertz family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. New Kulong tomorrow on the show, uh, talking about the Steelers' second consecutive bye week. No? Kind of feels like that's it, not, yeah. That's not the rule. Uh, Will Teeman from the Michigan State Radio Network tomorrow, and also uh, James Franklin's press conference. I'm sure James will have a few things to say. I think James is going to be all business. Yeah. You know what? I, I think James is... Uh, James is going to be all business. He'll he'll be his, his usual outgoing, jovial self, but on the football part, all business. Uh, there's a lot. He's got he's got a seven and zero football team right now. This is where I think the one and zero approach, the one and zero approach, is not even worth talking about when it comes to playing Michigan or Ohio State. That's an obvious and a given on a given week. I've always felt that the one and zero approach really comes into play this week. Yes. Where now you're coming off a big emotional win, but you got to get back to work because guess what? You got to be one and oh this week, right? It doesn't, it doesn't mean as much if you don't go one and oh this week. That's where I think, and I mentioned this in 2016 when they beat Ohio State, the next week they played Purdue, and I made the exact same statement then. This is where the one and oh approach really comes into play. It doesn't matter about Ohio State. That takes care of it itself. But the one and oh approach comes into play when you play the next game. Yes. And 
And, you know, it's not going to be a whiteout at Michigan State's at Spartan Stadium. It's going to be a different environment. They're coming off this incredible event in and of, you know, with built around a football game. But they're going to be on the road, and it's going to be a whole different environment to play in than they yeah, than yeah, last yeah, week. Yeah. Yet they've gone through. They went yep. through it at Iowa just they two did. weeks ago. And so because they've gone through it two weeks ago in a hostile environment, hostile meeting. I, you know what I mean. Yeah. I'm talking about the, they're not for you. No, the, okay. well, but they're not. They're, they're great fans. At yeah, Iowa. they're great, but they're just not for you. No. Okay, which is fine. Yeah. That, that's what makes it's like the Penn State fans weren't for Michigan. Oh, hey, too bad about that, that first down. All right, uh, but. Uh, but they, they've just two weeks ago were involved in an environment like this. Yep. The intensity pr- might not be the same as Iowa, but at the same time, it's a Michigan State football team that's in the same spot Michigan was. A line yeah. in the sand game for them. They had a bye week, mm-hmm. uh, and it's. it's it's an interesting group. Defensively, they, they can be very good, and especially against the run can be very good. Brian Lewerke has not really played well, but the last two years against Penn State, he has played yeah. well. He's played really well against Penn State the last two years. So, you, look, you, you know, you've got to go in there against a team that automatically you've got to have respect for because guess what? They got your attention each of the last yeah. two years. You know, Steve, one of the sidelights of the whiteout game to me was – the lack of Michigan fans. Now, they were up in the north end zone in the one section that visiting teams' fans sit in. But, you know, a lot of other big-time programs, when they come to Beaver Stadium, they get tickets and they're interspersed all through the crowd. Well, in a whiteout, Michigan fans would really stand out. They did not travel well on the road. At well, all. that's you know, actually, I've got a completely different take on that, okay. Bob. Completely okay. different take. All right. Penn State fans kept their tickets. Ah, there were not a lot no. available. Trust me. No, it's Penn State fans instead of selling their tickets and profiting off the game. Yep. Kept their tickets. This has become a huge problem in the NFL. You go to NFL stadiums. Sometimes half the stadiums for the other team, and well, I don't just mean that Steeler thing yeah, out in, in L.A. Carson. That's a different. But I'm talking about like Cowboys games. You'd be shocked at how many Eagles fans are there for yeah. a Cowboys game. When the Dallas, when the uh, Houston Texans played the Dallas Cowboys a year ago, I was talking to Mark Vandermeer. Mark told me half the stadium were Texans fans. <laughs> wow. I mean, everywhere the everywhere the Steelers go to Tampa Bay, they go to Jacksonville, Miami. Half the stadiums for the Steelers. Well, that's because those, Pittsburgh those, is down. There. <laughs> yeah, but all those people sell their tickets. Yeah, that's all true. Right? I, I think that's Penn a great State point. fans did not sell their tickets. They kept them. And I think that's a tribute. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app.